Um, if you have your Bibles, get them out and open them up to the book of Proverbs. Uh, we're going to be spending all morning in various passages <clears throat> from Proverbs, and I'll explain a little more in just a minute. Uh, first, I want to read James chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful to be here this morning, to be surrounded by our blood-bought brothers and sisters, to sing together, to pray together, to consider your word, and, and to be able to uh, grow in our understanding of your word and, and grow in our love of you. We're thankful for the freedoms that allow us to be here without uh, fear, without concern, uh, where many brothers and sisters uh, across the world are uh, meeting in much greater secrecy. I pray that we wouldn't forget the joy of that, I pray that we would be thoughtful of those around the world who are risking their life to obey your commandments this morning, and I pray that it would help us to remain focused and appreciative of all that you have allowed us to be able to enjoy and blessed us with, particularly the blessing of your Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. It is because of Christ that we can pray. Amen. <clears throat> so um, it, I wanted to do something just very, very practical this morning. It's a little bit different than uh, the normal way I would preach through a sermon. It's, it's almost going to be like a Sunday school class uh, on the topic of our speech. Um, I, I've been blessed to be spending some extra time in the book of Proverbs lately. It happens to be one of my favorite Old Testament books right there next to Job. And... Um, it's hands down the, the book of scripture that I have read more than any other book. Uh, I've read through Proverbs, uh, all 31 chapters, more times than I've read any other book of scripture. Uh, one of my new favorite things to do is to read a chapter of Proverbs to Ezekiel, our son. On my morning break from work, I'll get out the Bible and I'll read a particular chapter of Proverbs to him. Uh, and then that night when he goes to bed, I'll take that same chapter and I'll read it again. Uh, nothing intense. There's no like deep theological unpacking, just a, a father's instructions to a son uh, and a blessed opportunity for me to be able to do that as a father with my son. Uh, so uh, it's been a sweet time and we'll get to that more in a second. As we saw in our James passage, the tongue is a very dangerous tool. It can be a blessing or it can be a curse. Uh, I've found in very practical measures that the tongue affects every part of our life. The way you wield your words, the way you speak, your speech, your tongue can carefully guide a ship through rough seas or can set an entire forest ablaze. My hope for our time this morning and, and the purpose of being just really practical with it is that we will seek and gain wisdom from Proverbs about our tongues, about our speech, how we are to use our speech. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. And forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Solomon writes his Proverbs as a father writing to a son. As Solomon calls his son to hear his instructions and to not forsake the teachings of his mother, 
We must see and consider God the Father bringing his instruction to us through Solomon in his word. We should not forsake what God is teaching us. We should also consider the various roles that God has given us when we consider what Solomon says right there. Moms, teach your children. Use your words. Raise them up in the way that they should go. This teaching includes the the visible expression of submitting to your husbands in the Lord, for this is right. Speaking truth over your children and showing your children by example that God has a good design for a husband and for a wife, and he knows best for our family how that should be played out. Fathers, instruct your children. Be diligent in this. Don't be lazy. Don't shirk the responsibility that God has given you to raise up your children. Pour his word out upon them. Read it to them. Teach it to them. What will your children be able to lean on in the difficulties of life ahead because you spoke up and instructed them in it? How many of us struggle to see the goodness of God's command for us in our roles as husbands and wives because we weren't taught it when we were growing up. It wasn't washed over us. It wasn't shown to us as good. Now, even though this passage isn't focused solely on our speech, what we do see in this passage is that Solomon begins by speaking. He's he's saying, my son, don't forget my instructions. Don't forget your mother's teachings. Hear what we've said to you. Store those things up. And in that, you can see how quickly our speech is so important to the life that we live, to the training that we do with those whom God has entrusted to us. We also must see that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I I thought long and hard about leaving that part out because I've hit on that verse hundreds of times in, in various teachings. But if we don't keep that as a foundation, then I'm afraid whatever you might be speaking into those around you uh, may not be rooted in truth and therefore worthless. So begin with the fear of the Lord. Speak God's truth into those whom he's entrusted to your care. We must see that we are always instructing or discipling those around us. Discipleship happens all the time. Even when we are not trying to disciple, we are, in a very real sense, discipling those around us. Does your speech or your lack of speech honor the Lord and train those around you under your care in the truths of the Lord? Would your conversations and speaking be a solid outline for your children, perhaps your nieces and nephews, perhaps even just your brothers and sisters, your parents, would, would it be a good outline for them to store up for their good? Take that a step further. Consider what your speech is like in the public square. Would your social media feed honor the Lord, be a, a blessing to your children if they were to read through it one day? For those of you who may not be too familiar with the various genres of scripture, uh, Proverbs is what we would call wisdom literature. Um, Therefore, it's important to read it as wise sayings, not necessarily as commands or promises. Uh, There are promises in wisdom literature. There are commands in wisdom literature. But if you read all of it as if it's all a promise or command, you will not interpret it correctly. One example of a passage that is often mistaught is from Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. It reads, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, most often when this passage is taught, it's taught more like a promise of Scripture, and it's often used to encourage believing parents to train their children up in the things of the Lord. And that even if they seem to stray at some point in their life, when they're old, they're going to return to that thing. And the problem with reading wisdom literature like that and interpreting it this way is that it's wrong. 
That's not what it's actually saying. It, it will produce false hopes. It can even lead people to lose faith in God and faith in his word. Even though God has not and cannot fail you, when you misinterpret scripture and wrongly apply it, it can have very bad consequences. So imagine that you've been taught that this passage from Proverbs is a promise. Imagine you're a parent who dearly loves their child and their child is really rebellious. You've done all that you can to train them up in the Lord. You've poured the word over them. You've brought them to church. You've prayed over them day in, day out. And yet the child continues to grow in rebellion and disdain for your faith and your God. Now, let's say the child passes before you do. All of their life, they've been unrepentant. They've proven that they hate the Lord. They would not submit to him. But you were told, you were told that the word of God said, if you did this, then they would come back. That didn't happen. What might that do to your faith? If that's what you believed to be true from the word of God, what might that do to your faith? You see, it's vitally important that you have the proper context when you study scripture. And part of that context is understanding the literary genres of the writings. So let me back the train up a bit and show you what this passage is saying and and why. Wisdom literature is meant to give you a basic and clear lesson that will often, often prove to be very accurate. This is not a promise from scripture that if you train up your children properly, they will most certainly return to the training that you gave them. Actually, this passage carries both a encouragement and a warning. And if you're reading through Proverbs, almost all of the verses do this. They, they give you both sides of the fence. They give you an encouragement and a warning. Proverbs 22 verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Simply put, this wise saying means the way that you raise up a child will most likely be the way that they will act and the beliefs that they will hold even when they're old. Now that's good or bad. So you you train up a child and, and you train them up with an utter lack of discipline You train them up without teaching them the truths of God. Perhaps you train them up to have a disdain for God. Maybe you yourself had a disdain for God. And they will likely be that way when they get old. That's all the passage is saying. Whatever way you train up your child, it is likely that it will have lasting effects in the child's life. That's the proper understanding of a passage like this from Proverbs. Um, I wanted to bring that clarity because, again, as we look today at the tongue and what Proverbs has to say about our speech, uh, I just want to make sure I'm clear on how you should read those passages and interpret them. Um, For the most part, wisdom literature is accurate, is good, is a benefit. There are times when the thing that wisdom literature is saying is going to happen doesn't happen because it's not a, a promise from scripture. It's just, hey, if you do this, this will most likely be the outcome. That's how you grow in wisdom, right? Um, I had some other points to give to you about the author, but uh, for time's sake, I'm going to skip that. And I wanted to jump into the main focus this morning. So uh, I have four different primary points that I wanted to look at when it comes to what Proverbs says about our speech. Uh, The first point I I want us to look at, and probably one of the most important is the wisdom of being quiet, being quiet. Uh, I can see the smiles on the faces already. I thought we were talking about talk. Yes, we are. Uh, Proverbs has a lot to say about us not speaking uh, and the wisdom that's involved there. Uh, Number two, the blessing of wise speech and the curse of foolish speech. Point number three, I want to address gossip, slander, and flattery. And then point number four, last point, will be the wisdom of controlling your speech. Again, just so I'm really clear, this is just very practical time this morning. So um, have your Bible open to Proverbs. We're going to jump through a lot of verses. Um, 
And I really hope that it's just a, a practical tool reminding you of all the things that you hopefully already have some awareness of. So I want to begin with the passages that speak to us holding back our words or being slower to speak. There, there really is great wisdom in simply being quiet. I think this is where I tend to see the most practical error in the life of Christians being played out. Do, do you know how many problems you could avoid, how much turmoil, how much strife, how many headaches, sleepless nights, worry you could avoid if you learned the wisdom of just being quiet. Whatever that thing is you feel you must say, perhaps is better left unsaid, right? It isn't even necessarily that what you have to say is wrong or unhelpful. However, even the right words at the wrong time can prove to be unwise. In fact, most often we have such a deep desire to be heard that even when we are going to share truth, our desire to share it comes from a sinful place and we wield truth unrighteously. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. When you speak a lot, it's likely that you're going to have sin involved. Pretty simple, right? The passage is saying. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. If, you, if, you're, if you're running your mouth a lot, you are likely sinning. There's, there's probably no lack of sin in it. When words are many, transgression or sin is often accompanying them. So a wise man will slow down how much he intends to say, if indeed he intends to say anything at all. A prudent man will restrain his lips. To be prudent is to be wise. It's to uh, think of the future with wisdom. It's to act according to what wisdom or prudence will produce for you moving down the road. And church, it's wise to restrain your words. Again, how, how many headaches, how much suffering, how many troubles have you brought upon yourself for a lack of restraining your tongue? Jump forward a few chapters to chapter 12, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 23. A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. There's that word prudent again. Uh, I'd already said this, but some of the synonyms for the word prudent includes wise, sorry, include wise, sensible, sage, or judicious. A man with these qualities conceals knowledge. Rather than blurt out everything they know, a wise man holds back knowledge until it's a proper time and a proper purpose to share it. But what does the fool do? Well, his heart proclaims folly. Now, th this is interesting. The scriptures declare that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus says this in Matthew 12, 34. So when we see that the heart proclaims folly, we can know that the writer means the fool speaks folly. It, it comes forth from his heart. He proclaims it. His talk reveals to the world around him that he is a fool and that his heart is filled with folly. In fact, there's a, a, another passage in Proverbs 15 that says the same thing, but says it in the opposite terms. Proverbs 15, 28. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Um, if you haven't picked up on it yet, Proverbs is such a fun book to read. These little wise sayings and, and the way they'll repeat themselves and they'll flip the words around and they'll say the same thing two different ways to help you grow in your wisdom of what it's getting at. I, I can't encourage you enough to spend some time there. So Proverbs 15, 28, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. 
Heart of the righteous thinks about how to answer, slows down, considers it. They slow down in their heart. They take caution. They give thought to what their reply will be. And see again, the deep connection between the heart and the speech. In the previous Proverbs passage, the heart of the fool poured out folly. In this passage, the heart of the righteous thinks through how he ought to answer. Um, this is a, a sidebar. I'm sure that this should be convicting to many of us. As I was preparing it, as I was studying these verses, it was convicting to me. Um, don't let that conviction kind of shut you down. Uh, the, the worst thing you can do this morning when we're really looking at something like this that's very practical is think about how others should be hearing these things. Don't do that this morning. Think about how you should be hearing these things. Don't, don't avoid the conviction of the Spirit, but, but embrace it and grow in wisdom, grow in your ability to speak properly, uh, accordingly as a Christian ought to, and be blessed by that. Okay, uh, That's a side note. It's a freebie. All right, so Proverbs 13, verse 3. I know if you guys are flipping pages, we, we didn't put all of these up because there's so many of them and they're all in Proverbs. So hopefully it'll just get you more familiar with the passages as you're kind of flipping to catch up with me. Um, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 3. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Now, the wisdom here is meant to be understood in a literal and figurative way. How many people literally have run their mouths and brought upon themselves their actual physical death? If you slow down and consider that, it's sad. Many people are no longer here because they could not close their mouth. They, they talked to the wrong other wicked person the wrong way too many times right? How many people bring upon themselves multiple trials and hardships because they can't restrain their tongue? If you haven't gathered this yet, always being the one who is loud, who is fast to speak up is not a wise thing. I fear some of us even take a pride in kind of being that person. I'm going to say what needs to be said. If nobody else is going to talk, I will. Proverbs is kind of warning you not to be that guy. There is a, a proper time when proper truths need to be said. Um, there's a good and right time for that. Proverbs isn't saying you never do that. But primarily it's saying you err on the other side. You err on the side of speaking when you really shouldn't. You should slow down and consider what you're about to say. These next two are really um, two of my favorites when it comes to the wisdom of remaining silent. Proverbs seventeen twenty eight. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Um, Abraham Lincoln was accredited with this quote. It says, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. It's not exactly what our passage is saying, but uh, it still has the same meaning, right? Uh, a fool who keeps his mouth shut appears wise because he does not allow the folly of his heart to pour out for others to know that it's filled with folly. And essentially, old Abe put it, <laughs> to remove all doubt that he is a fool, right? Better to keep quiet. Over and over again, our passages reveal to us that there is great wisdom in remaining silent and choosing when to speak in thinking through the answer that you are about to give. Uh, my favorite, favorite verse when it comes to being quiet is this one in Proverbs 18 verse 13. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Husbands, if you speak up when your wife is in the middle of a sentence to give an answer, 
It is your folly and your shame. Children, if you attempt to cut your parents off when they are speaking to you, it is your folly and your shame. Wives, likewise, if you speak up before your husband is done speaking, it is your folly and your shame. I know this hits all of us. And I can see it on your faces. It got awkwardly quiet just now when I was talking about that, right? I'm a, I don't want to do the grandparents and grandchildren. I don't need to. You're all on board. I can see. I, I would encourage you to take this a step further. If you are thinking of your rebuttal while someone else is still speaking, rather than hearing what they are saying so that you can give a wise answer, it is your folly and your shame. You may not have outwardly spoken, but inside you're no longer listening. You're answering in your mind, which removes your ability to hear. How many of you hear the first few words of a sentence, then you're so focused on what you get to say in reply, what you need to make sure they understand? No, no, no. How You've got to hear what I'm going to say. You don't even hear the rest of what's being said. Well, according to this Proverbs passage, that is to your folly and your shame. Be patient. Listen. Don't answer until you've heard everything. There's another Proverbs passage that I didn't include in the sermon, but essentially it says that everyone sounds right until you go and hear the other side of the story. So when someone comes to you with something, don't be quick to go, how dare, and and get the war clothes on to go to battle. Say, okay, I, I hear that. Let me now go talk to the other party involved. Let's hear both sides of the story before we give an answer. Let's hear it all first, right? This is what the wisdom of silence will produce for you. It will keep you from folly and shame. It will protect you. You will save yourself. These conversations will go much better. Students, children, less groundings, less discipline. If you slow down, if you realize you aren't as wise as you think you are and Fight to close your mouth more than you fight to open it. Husbands and wives, less strife, less drama, less time wasted being frustrated with each other when it wasn't necessary, when all you had to do was slow down. I hope these few sweet reminders from Proverbs will will really help you practically consider how you ought to slow down in your speech, in your talk. James 1 verse 19 says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Point two, the blessings of wise speech and the curse of foolish speech. Uh, Proverbs chapter 10, I'm going to read verses 20 and 21, and then I'm going to jump down to verses 31 and 32. Proverbs 10, verses 20 and 21. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. Verse 31. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable but the mouth of the wicked, what is perverse. The righteous person speaks in a way that it's a treasure to those around them. Their lips are like choice silver. They're they're precious. The lips of the righteous feed many. This does not mean in a literal sense, right? People aren't eating. Never mind. Just don't go there. It's not a literal saying. What it means is that the words of a righteous man will bring nourishment to those around him, feeds their soul, gives them more wisdom, gives them food that they can't eat by putting it in their belly, right? The fool dies for a lack of sense. 
Righteous speech feeds and nourishes. Foolish speech brings forth death because it lacks sense. The righteous mouth brings wisdom. The perverse or twisted tongue will be cut off, removed. See here that the righteous know what is acceptable, but the wicked only what is perverse and twisted. One of these brings life and nourishment. One brings death and cutting off, removing. Proverbs 14.3 By the mouth of a fool comes a rod for his back, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. Wise speech keeps you safe. It preserves you. Foolish talk brings a rod for your back. Uh, I don't know if any of you are old enough to remember what it was like to, to get a switch instead of a belt when you got punished as a kid. My, my uncle would say, hey, there's the tree in the backyard. Go grab a branch. It's time, right? Foolish talk invites that. It says, grab a rod. Hit me in the back. I need it. I'm a fool. If you smarted off to your folks speaking in a foolish manner, what typically happened? You got a discipline. This, this, it's not a complicated verse. It's very clear. If you're going to speak in a foolish way, you're going to get disciplined. Somebody's going to discipline you. Hopefully it's your parents and you grow out of it before you get old and it's the government, <laughs> right? Or a neighbor who's tired of it, right? Hopefully as you grow, you learn that even if you want to say something, it's not always the wisest thing to do. Proverbs 18, verses 6 and 7. A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. Notice how the fool starts with inviting physical violence to himself through his mouth. But the verse gets scarier. The last part of the verse says that his lips are a snare, a trap for his soul. Church of Fool's mouth brings temporary and eternal ruin to him. If such is the case of a fool, then we must be careful to consider our words, our speech, to test it, to see if it falls in line with what the scriptures declare a righteous man would do and wisdom would do or if it falls in line with what the scriptures say a fool does. Let me just say it practically. If you find yourself getting into more and more trouble because you can't control the words that come out of your mouth, well, then Proverbs is saying that you're acting like a fool. And if that goes on for too long, that's a danger to your soul. Don't do that. These truths are linked because the heart and the mouth are linked, as I said earlier. What you say, how you say it, how often you say it, the timing in your saying of it, all of that reveals where you've gained wisdom and righteousness or whether you are a fool, what, what your heart really desires. Proverbs twelve eighteen, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I uh, I didn't want to bring up the old like uh, song that you probably heard as a kid, the sticks and stones thing, right? I mean, everybody's heard that probably. Maybe if you're really young, maybe we got rid of it finally and you, you haven't heard it. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. The, the Proverbs passage says, actually, words can be like sword thrusts. Anybody ever been thrusted through by a sword? Probably not. You probably wouldn't be here still. If you are, that's, and, and you're still here, man, I'm impressed. Talk to me later. I want to know you more, right? R rash words cut, they hurt, they bring great pain. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. There are numerous other verses that talk about the blessing of the righteous man's tongue and the curses of the fool's tongue. But for time's sake, I, I wanted to keep this a little bit shorter and just give you some summary of them. Wise words bring life. They bring more wisdom. They build up or exalt cities. That's pretty big. Wise words bring forth what is acceptable. 
It fills people with their good things, according to Proverbs. It protects them. It preserves the hearers, and it preserves their own life, their own soul. But foolish words, foolish speech, bring physical and spiritual destruction. It tears down cities. It sets a trap for themselves. It brings them strife. It pours out more and more foolishness. It is not right or proper. That is the blessing of righteous speaking and the curse of foolish speaking. So moving on to point three this morning, gossip, slander, and flattery. When we discuss foolish words versus wise words, we've probably already assumed that gossip and slander are going to be like in the foolish category, right? Uh, I think oftentimes one of the ones that people miss is flattery. We don't think often of flattery as like necessarily a bad thing. What's wrong with uh, encouraging someone? What's wrong with saying, man, good job, well done. Or, you know, you're really good at that. Well, nothing necessarily is wrong with that. Unless what you're saying is untrue, then it's flattery. So encouraging someone and speaking truth and and, uh, sharing that with somebody is not a bad thing. But flattery is deceitful talk. It's talk to puff someone up in a way that actually isn't correct. Flattery is a tool that people use to gain something for themselves, not to be genuine with the person they're speaking to. Proverbs 26, verse 28. A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Notice the connection in this verse between a lying tongue and flattery. Flattery is deceitful. It's a language used to gain favor with someone, but it's not honest. You are puffing them up with flattering words for your own gain, not out of a genuine desire to encourage and build the person up. This type of strategy is evil. It, it, it hates the one that flattery and lies are aimed at. That's what the passage said. It hates that person. And wisdom here should cause us to slow down, to ask ourselves if, if we're about to give a compliment, if, if that's really a genuine compliment, right and true, if it's for the good of the other person, or am I being tempted here to flatter this person for some kind of personal gain? Am I tempted to be dishonest here so that I get something, right? That's the difference between encouragement and flattery. Proverbs 28, verse 23. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. This is a great passage. It really encompasses so much uh, of this wisdom in one small snippet. If a man is supposed to be rebuked because they're doing something sinful and you flatter them, you're clearly being dishonest, right? Instead of rebuking, you go, oh, no, 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 you're doing great. This is awesome. You're great. You're, You're fantastic. When it comes to honesty and honest communication, the one who rebukes a person in a righteous manner, finds more favor than the one who lies to that person and flatters them rather than rebuking them. You see, people appreciate honesty that builds them up even when it's difficult to hear. No one in the moment enjoys rebuke. I, I, don't, I don't know about you guys. I don't wake up in the morning going, man, I really hope someone rebukes me today. I need to be straightened up, right? But... If it's correcting some action that's sinful or foolish, then it's good for me. Then I invite it as much as I may not like it. This is often done in a setting where it will bring conflict, where it will bring tension. It can even bring distance between uh, someone who's close to you. Rebuke is hard. However, the truth of one willing to rebuke rather than flatter you in dishonesty is a more beautifully treasured word. The flattery to avoid conflict or distance shows that you're unwilling to risk for the good of others. It shows that you're selfish, that you're more concerned about what you want to keep than you are about loving others well. It is a self-defense tool that in the end will not produce the favor that you're hoping it will produce. It reminds me of another proverb passage, Proverbs 27 verses 5 and 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. 
Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Church, it is better to have faithful friends willing to risk conflict, hard conversation, even willing to risk having you at a distance for a time being so that they can speak truth to you for your good. Open rebuke is better than hidden love. The one who rebukes finds more favor than the one who flatters. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. See flattery as an enemy's profuse kiss. When I'm tempted to flatter for some kind of personal gain, I'm being tempted to leave a profuse kiss of an enemy on the person that I'm speaking to. It does no good for the other. It is only for me. One more point here. The fear of man is an incredibly powerful thing. This is why flattery is so dangerous. We all want to be loved, appreciated, thought well of. Wanting others' approval can easily become an idol for us. So when someone flatters, it can be tempting to long for that, to enjoy the way that makes you feel. Someone said something good about me. Oh, that feels good. I like that. I want more of that. But church, if it is flattery, that means it's not actually true. You, you might be lied to and it might feel good for a second, but eventually the truth will prevail and you'll realize, oh, that's, that wasn't good. That wasn't good for me. That, that momentary feeling of goodness was not good for me. Um, I picture it like this, the best illustration I can give. Not all of us were given a voice to sing, a voice to sing beautifully for others. Let me say it that way. The Lord calls us all to make a joyful noise. So the voice that comes out when I sing is joyful in my heart, um, but I'm not putting it on a record anytime soon. No one's recording that and playing it in the car radio, right? How how awful is it when you see maybe an early 20-something, middle 20-something, maybe even a 30-something-year-old who clearly cannot sing, but all their life they were flattered. All their life they were told, no, this is incredible. That sounds great. You're so good. Don't do that to somebody. That's not loving. Not everybody's meant to sing for crowds on a stage, right? That's why my wife can sing, but I don't come up here to do that part. That's not for me. Praise the Lord. You don't want that. <laughs> but, but you've all seen that, right? You, you've seen the person on American Idol who should have been told many, many years ago, this is not for you. I love you. It's not for you. That's okay. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with you, to, right? This is what it's talking about when it speaks about flattery. Church, you can compliment people. It is okay to say kind, encouraging, upbuilding things to others. Please do that. That's okay. Provided that they are true. Provided that what you're saying is for the other person and not for you, right? Then that's done well. Flattery is not true. It's deceitful and it's destructive. Proverbs 11, verse 3. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. Moving on from flattery to slander. The slanderer reveals things that are not to be shared with others. Even if they are true, when someone shares something about someone else with the hopes of affecting their reputation or someone else's view of that person, they are slandering, even if it's true. It does not always need to be a lie to be slander. It can simply be a half-truth, or it can be a truth that is not meant for the person who is hearing it. The primary reason slander is so dangerous is that it has the aim of hurting the one being slandered. It's intentionally sinful. A slanderer is someone who cannot be trusted. They won't keep your secret. If you are a slanderer, you may notice people are less willing to be your friend, to share their life with you. Who needs a friend who cannot keep your confidence? Who needs a friend that you can't share difficult things with and be genuine with because 
They're going to go tell the world about it. No one needs a friend like that. That's what the Proverbs passage says. In fact, our next passage says this even clearer. Proverbs 20, verse 19. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. Um, That language is kind of lost on us. It's pretty harsh. Solomon writes that. He's saying, don't associate with a fool who runs his mouth. A simple babbler. Simple means foolish, not wise, right? Don't associate with them. It will be to your destruction if you do, right? If you've ever had a friend who decided to share everything you've ever uh, entrusted them with, it, it destroys you. It's, it's a deep kind of hurt. Many of you know it well. And so wisdom says don't associate with those people. <laughs> don't have them as friends. If you are a slanderer, then please hear this. Whatever gain you think you will get by sharing what is not yours to share will prove to not be a gain but a loss. It will be a temporary loss and more than likely a long-term loss. Wisdom tells others to avoid one like you. I cannot encourage you enough if you are tempted to slander to put it away or you will find yourself a very lonely person in the not-too-distant future. When it comes to gossip, Proverbs most often refers to this as the whisperer. Proverbs 16, verses 27 and 28. A worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. By grouping these terms together, the wisdom, the wise saying, is giving you a bigger picture. It's not saying that a worthless man plots evil, period, full stop. A worthless man's speech is like this, full stop. A dishonest man does this, full stop. And then, and then, a, then a gossip, a whisperer does this. It's saying a whisperer is a worthless man who plots evil. His speech is like a scorching fire. He's a dishonest man who spreads strife. He separates close friends. It's saying a worthless man is a whisperer. It's giving you all of that together on purpose. It's saying these are all your attributes now. If you're willing to do this, then this is true of you. In fact, our next passage gives a really fantastic illustration of this. Proverbs 26 verse 20. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. Uh, I don't know how many of you guys have ever been camping. Uh, I grew up in the mountains, so I know about a good campfire. Uh, And I know if you run out of wood, your fire will go out. It does not last forever. It needs something to burn. It needs fuel, right? This is a cool, very simple illustration that the Proverbs writer gives you. For lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisper, where the gossip ends, where there's no gossiper, quarreling ceases. The fighting ends. The division ends. The, tr- the drama, the strife, the contention goes away because the whisperer stopped. There is none there. Practically speaking, we all know how easy it can be to spread rumors for our own sinful gain. No one's innocent of that. We've all done it at some point. We've all said something that was not true for our own gain. We're all guilty of that. We know how tempting it is to share secrets, even to hear them. Someone's got some juicy thing that they, oh, you got to see what? Yeah, you got to tell me. Scripture says that those, those whispers are like morsels that go down into our belly. They, they provide this joyful kind of treat to us. These actions are sinful though. They are not becoming of the believer who has been saved by grace. With our tongues, Christian, we ought not to be deceitful. We ought not to use flattery or slander or gossip of others for our own gain. In the end, these things will bring destruction. They will separate close friends. They will separate churches. They will bring down cities. That's how powerful the tongue is. There is no benefit there, Christian. 
If Christ has saved you, then you must avoid this kind of communication, this kind of talk. These things are not good for you. They're not proper. In fact, I would encourage you to go a step further. If someone is about to share something with you that you know is not something that you should hear, then lovingly stop them. Uh, Being in youth ministry uh, many times over the years, I've, I've had the blessing of watching my wife do this with students. Hey, 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 what you're about to share about your friend, is that something I should know? Or is this like something you've been entrusted with? Is, is, is it something that's putting their lives in danger? And so as, a, as an adult, I need to know it? Or, or is this something that's really going to cause some pretty bad consequences for you and them if I know about it down the road? Then just don't share it. Then that's not for me. I don't need more of that. That's been a sweet blessing been a a convicting thing to watch. So ask them, do you have permission to share what you're about to say? Or will sharing with me this information bless the people involved? Or or is it going to paint them in a bad light? Is it going to hurt them? What's the purpose? What's the intent? Get clarity. And, And that will protect you as the hearer. And it will help train up those who are weaker around you to learn to not gossip or slander or be a whisperer, right? Let's move to my last point this morning. The wisdom of controlling your speech, point four. I've said this already, but it's worth repeating. You can avoid a million troubles in your life if you will simply learn the wisdom of controlling your speech. The heartaches and headaches from allowing our tongues to fly free are innumerable. You are your own worst enemy when it comes to this, right? So let's look at what wisdom teaches us about this. Proverbs 15, verses 1 through 4. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. A soft answer turns away wrath. How many times could you have de-escalated a situation with a simple softness in your answer? Husbands and wives. How many times? How many times? Instead of being offended, instead of taking it personal, instead of letting your flesh, your old self get the best of you, if you'd just given a soft answer, hey, sweetheart, I'm not sure if you meant this this way, but kind of hearing it this way, can we talk about that? Man, if I could learn that, you guys, it would be a sweet blessing to my wife. It would save me from a whole lot of time having to go through a lot harder conversation to get back to that point, right? A soft answer turns away wrath. Now, it does not say a deceitful answer turns away wrath. So the passage isn't saying be dishonest, but it's saying that a soft answer does. I bring that up because many times when I counsel others about these things, when I'm encouraging them to to be softer, to be slower, they go, well, if I'm, if I'm soft, then I'm just lying. It's not going to be true. No, it's not what our passage teaches. You can bring a soft answer and still be speaking truth. Your tone, your temperament, your volume, all of that plays a part. The opposite of the soft answer is harsh words that stir up anger. I don't know if you're like me, but growing up, I always had one of those friends. If someone was going to say something that was inappropriate, they were going to jump into that conversation and it was going to get far worse before it got better. Over the years, I learned to distance myself from those friends, but somehow they always made a way back. It's the friend who, when somebody says something out of line, you're like, oh no, am I going to get out of here? What's this going to turn into? Because I know them. They're not going to stop. That this that harsh answer is going to stir up more anger, right? They're not looking to solve a problem. They're looking to make more problems and they don't care who's involved. 
It's the one who makes you walk on eggshells because you're worried that the slightest hiccup may set them off, and it always seems to bring destruction. But that's what happens when harsh words are used rather than a soft answer. Notice how the verse continues, A wise tongue commends knowledge, but the fool's tongue pours out folly. And these are meant to be understood together. A soft answer is wise. It commends knowledge. A harsh answer is foolish, and it pours out more folly. It stirs up more wrath. If you want something to snowball in a direction, you want it to be this soft answer that that grows wisdom, commends knowledge. You don't want it to be the, the harsh answer that snowballs into wrath, destruction, and folly, right? Proverbs, so great. Great little nuggets of wisdom. It's been sitting in your Bible this whole time, guys. I also verse three there for you to be reminded that the Lord sees both the wicked and the just. Here's why. Are you worried that if you only give soft answers, you won't be heard? The Lord sees it, church. The Lord hears your answer. Don't let that fear keep you from being wise and controlling your tongue. You honor the Lord with a soft answer, and that should be sufficient. But the Lord in his mercy causes it to have even greater benefits. Your soft answer turns away wrath. What a sweet gift from the Lord. Verse 4 really puts the icing on the cake. A gentle tongue is a tree of life. Christian, do others around you know that your words will be life-giving? Do they come to you because they, they feel blessed when they talk with you? The Lord uses you to uplift them, even in the tough conversations. They know you'll speak truth, but that you care. Do your words bring life? Are they a tree of life to others? If not, perhaps it's time to consider if you are using a soft answer and a gentle tongue. The perverse tongue breaks the spirit. This is really clear language to show the power of the tongue. Church, how you use and control your speech has vast significance. It can bring life or it can break someone's spirit. Proverbs 17, 27. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always desired to be a wise person. This is one area of life that I've had to do a lot of work in. It's an area that I have to keep a constant guard over. My my words, my desire to speak. Your words and your spirit are similarly connected like your words and your heart. See the connection in our passage. A man who restrains his words is a man who has a cool spirit. He has understanding. If you've heard Pastor Josh speak of a radical evenness of temper, well, this is what the verse in Proverbs is getting at. The one who restrains his words has knowledge. He has a cool or radically even-tempered spirit. He has understanding. Proverbs 25, 15. With patience, a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue will break a bone. How many of you guys, by show of hands, have broken a bone? Lots of you guys. Is that ever a tongue? <clears throat> okay. So we know the wisdom literature doesn't mean literally the tongue is breaking a physical bone, right? How, how did it feel when your bones broke? Painful? It hurt me to see my daughter's leg broken, and it wasn't even my own leg. I, I hope you see how clearly dangerous the tongue can be. It can bring pain like that of a broken bone to somebody. Or with patience, it can persuade rulers. I intended our time together this morning to accomplish two main goals. I didn't share them both at the outset because I just wanted to focus on the practicalness of it. But I wanted to give you very practical wisdom in regards to the way that we speak Uh, And I hope that there's conviction. I hope that there's growth, a better understanding, a new desire to work on how you wield this small but dangerous tool called your tongue. 
And my second main hope is that by spending some time in Proverbs and simply seeing the blessing of practical wisdom here, that you may be stirred up to spend more time yourself in this really great book of Scripture. Uh, One of the ways that I've encouraged those around me in um, the past uh, when it comes to Proverbs is, is to simply read a chapter a day. In a month, there's there's typically 31 days. Well, there happens to be 31 chapters in Proverbs. Uh, it's not a difficult thing. Um, if you miss a day, you can jump to the next one. The wise sayings don't all have to be read together to be understood properly. Um, but this is part of why it's been one of the books I've read more than any other book in Scripture. Uh, I put that into practice a long time ago at an encouragement from another brother who was a blessing to me. Um, and it's been huge. I've really, really enjoyed my time there. And so um, read a chapter each day. Do that for a year. I, I assure you, you will gain wisdom and knowledge. You will be shocked at how much you learn from these simple, clear, wise sayings. Um, if, you, if you have a son, r- read Proverbs to him. I don't care how old he is or how young he is. Zeke just loves that I'm reading to him. He, he's not going to remember most of what I'm saying. He's like, it's reading time, dad. Can I sit next to you? And he jumps up on the bed and he's just like stoked. He doesn't know what, he doesn't know what the wayward woman is or why he should keep himself from her. But I read it. Someday he will, right? But it's, man, uh, as a dad, it's, it's one of the treasures in my life that I've really enjoyed. So uh, I'd encourage you to do that. Uh, I tried to be very practical in our time, but I wanted to end by drawing our attention to the heart of these things. Ephesians chapter four, verses 29 through 32. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Why must we as believers properly use our speech, wield our tongues? Because God in Christ Jesus forgave you, Christian. You've been saved. You didn't deserve that. When you're tempted to let your words come out because someone is being unjust and they don't deserve grace, you remember what you got instead of justice. You got grace. So slow yourself down. Speak in a way that is good for building up. As fits the occasion. It might be true. It might be the right thing to say, but it might not be the right time to say it, guys. That's okay. The Lord is sovereign. You don't need to be afraid that if it doesn't get said, it'll never get said. This whole thing will just explode. No, if it's not the proper time, then withhold it. All right? That it may give grace to those who hear. It's not always going to be joyful for those hearers. When you give someone grace, that doesn't always mean they're going to receive it as a beautiful thing. (laughs) Rebuke is a gracious thing to give. It's a needed thing for us so that we grow, so that we mature, so that we see what we don't see. But do it in such a way that you are gentle, that you're loving, that you're desiring to help the person you're rebuking grow. Not just, man, you're out of line and you need to hear it, right? And we do all this, church, because our words reveal what's in our heart. They are connected in such a way that Jesus declares, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Fathers, we consider your uh, wise words about our speech as we think back on our uh, week, on our month, on the conversations we've had, the, the things we felt we needed to say, the 
temperament behind our communication. We pray that your spirit would be at work, convicting us where we are off. Uh, We pray that you would give us wisdom and discernment. You, You promise that if we seek for that and ask for it, that you will give it. And so we do so. Help us grow in wisdom. Help us grow in discernment. Help us control our tongues that we may be a blessing to those around us, a a tree of life, that our soft answer may turn away wrath, that it would be proper, fitting for the occasion. We are desperate for your work in us, and we are thankful in advance for what you will do. It is because of Christ that we can pray. Amen.